Imagine a world where everyone tells the truth. Imagine a world where no one ever breaks a commitment. I mean, you have an imagination, right? Picture it. A world where nobody ever lies. Nobody ever says one thing and does another. Imagine a world where everyone is submissive to one another with a servant's heart, not always asserting their rights. Well, that's not fair. Well, I, you did this, so I owe you. Imagine a world like that. Can you picture what life would be like in a place like that with your imagination? Can you use that, that imagination that you have, a world where no dishonesty, nobody asserting their rights, everybody wanting to serve the best interests of somebody else, no revenge, no retaliation, nobody suing one another? Sounds like a pretty good place to live, right? Well, Jesus deals with these sort of things today. He deals with the subject of honesty and submission, submitting your rights. Honesty and submitting your rights. Matthew verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 33 through 42, Jesus is going to talk about these two things. What this really is going to minister to is human, <coughs> excuse me, humankind's uh, tendency to break our word and our unwillingness to lay down our lives for the cause of Christ. Those two things, humans' tendency to break our word and the unwillingness of humans to lay down our lives for the cause of Christ and therefore for the cause of others. Jesus' followers ought to be the sort of people that tell the truth, that have willingly laid down their rights to all areas of their lives to Jesus for his purposes. Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse 33. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black, but let your yes be yes and your no, no. For whatever is more than these is from the evil one. You've heard it that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your coat also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. Heavenly Father, again, as we turn to you, as we turn to your word today, we pray that you would speak to us, not by the words of some bald guy up here um, talking, but speak to us supernaturally. Father, we ask that your spirit would minister to us. Father, we pray that the seeds that are planted today would not be snatched away by the evil one because of a hard heart, that the fruit of the word would not be choked out because of love for cares of the world. (coughs) Father, that we wouldn't have an emotional reaction and spring up and then die off easily, but that, Lord, we would produce fruit, Father, for your kingdom. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Outline's very simple today. It's just two (coughs) 
parts. Number one, tell the truth. Number two, lay down our rights for the cause of Christ. Those are two applications that Jesus gives in this message. You know, we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount, and what it is is it's a message that Jesus gave to believers to tell them how people that are members of his kingdom live, right? This is how Jesus' people live. It's not the way to be saved. This is the way to behave as a saved person, right? This is what Jesus expects of us. Have you ever asked yourself, I wonder what God expects of me. I just want to do his will. I just want to know how he wants me to live. It's all in the Sermon on the Mount. Now, this last section that we've been going through, you know this little formula, right? The, again, you have heard that it was said, but I say to you, right? That's happened a whole bunch of times in the last few weeks. What Jesus is doing is he's going through and correcting the false interpretations of the law of Moses, of the Old Testament, that were popular because of the scribes and the Pharisees. The religious rulers misinterpreted many laws of the Old Testament, and Jesus is kind of correcting their understanding. You remember the verse that kind of prefaced this whole little section. Does anybody remember what it was? Unless your righteousness does what? Nice and loud. Yeah, great. Unless it exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall what? By no means what? That's right. So what Jesus is saying is his people, they need to have a sort of righteousness that's heart level, not just external. And that's the scribes and the Pharisees. They looked very religious on the outside, but on the inside, they were filled with angry, uh, anger, adultery, uh, murderous thoughts, covetousness, the love of money, greed, the love of power, all these things. And Jesus says, you know what? They look really religious, but your righteousness, is, it needs to exceed their kind of righteousness. And he wasn't saying that you need to be, you know, more scribey or more, you know, or do more religious things than them. He's saying, no, you have to have an altogether different kind of righteousness. You need to have the kind of righteousness that's heart level changing. You need to have uh, the sort of righteousness that comes when you surrender your life to Christ and he comes and lives inside of you and starts to, you know, shape and direct your life. You need that kind of righteousness that happens from the inside out, not just an outward show. And so then he goes through and he says, hey, you know, you've heard it said, don't murder. But I tell you, if in your mind, what you're doing is you're tearing people down and you're saying they're worthless, you've already committed murder in your mind. Don't play games, remember? And then he said the same thing about adultery. If you guys are checking girls out and, and you say, well, I've, it's not like I've ever uh, you know, committed adultery, Jesus says, if you're looking at them to lust after them, you've committed adultery. The same goes for women. If you're looking at other guys and saying, oh, they'd be better than my husband, or you know, I wish I lived in that house, it's so much bigger, you're lusting, you're committing the same sort of sin. And Jesus got to the, to the core of these things, right? He gets to the heart level stuff. And then um, he talked about how um, they misinterpreted the law of divorce. You know, essentially, you could just write your wife a certificate of divorce, and that was it. You could say, oh, you know, I wanted, uh, you know, tofu, but you brought home tempeh. Uh, you know, you're out of here. This is disgraceful. And you could just send them a ticket of divorce, and that was it. And Jesus says, no, that's not how, how the, the law was intended, <laughs> you know, except for sexual immorality, right? And we talked about those things. And now he's continuing on with that, and he's saying, you've heard it said, uh, to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but you shall perform your oaths. This whole thing about interpreting the law correctly, can you see why that's so important? 
there are a lot of humans today that are actually under the interpretation of man rather than God's correct meaning that he set forth in the word. Let me give you an example of how some, sometimes we're under the you know, interpretations of man rather than under God. Uh, and I'll use the one for anger, for example. When I was young, I used to have an anger problem, right? Like um, if you would have to give, you know, I wanted Oreos, and if you didn't give them to me, I'd throw a tantrum. I was a bad kid. Like I had anger problems. So what we did was my mom thought it would you know, be smart to call a counselor, right? Now, the counselor came to the house to deal with my anger issues. And the way that the counselor dealt with my anger issues, I remember this very clearly, is they said, what I want you to do is I want you to look at that pillow and I want you to picture all the people that you're mad at in life and I want you to hit that pillow, right? Now, that's man's way of dealing with something. Now, the Bible would say, actually, what you're doing is sinning. So you take those thoughts, you hate these other people, and you confess them to the Lord as sin, and then you ask for him to give you the victory over that, right? See, that's God's way of doing things, and there's actual real help in God's way of doing things. So can you see how important it is for Jesus to go through and correct some of the false understandings of the law? We want to know exactly what God says about how to deal with our lives, not what man says, right? So that's why I particularly like this section. He says, hey, don't make oaths, right? Verse 34, I say to you, but I say to you, don't swear at all. Now, what is he talking about with oaths? He says, you shall not swear falsely, but perform your oaths to the Lord. So Jesus doesn't refer to a single commandment here like he did, thou shalt not murder. He's summing up what the Old Testament says about oaths. Now, does everybody know what an oath is? It's like a promise, right? Guys, on the same page there, <clears throat> not oaths, like, oh man, he's just such a big oaf. No, no, we're talking about oaths, <laughs> right? Okay, so you shall not swear falsely, but perform your oaths. So this is just a summary of the Old Testament's teaching. Laws in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, essentially stated, if a person chose to make a vow to God or to man, he was bound by the law of Moses to keep that oath. Now, that's what the Old, Old Testament said, and Jesus summed it up there. You've heard this said. True. But look what Jesus says, verse 34. But I say to you, do not swear at all. Now, you have to know right away, Jesus isn't talking about oaths in general here. There are some Christians, I believe the Amish have carried this so far, whereas to like if they were put in the court of law and they said, here's the Bible and I put you under oath, they refuse to do that because of this verse, right? Because Jesus says, don't take oaths. But... I believe that's taking it too far. I'll show you why. There, you know, oaths in general aren't wrong. Now, let me give you some examples. God makes an oath with Noah, doesn't he? And isn't the rainbow the sign of the promise that he makes? He says, I'll never destroy the world again by a flood. It'll never happen. Here's the rainbow. Every time you see the rainbow, you're going to think of my oath. Okay, God makes an oath. Uh, God made another oath when he, in uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 68 and 73, he promised to send a redeemer, right? There's another oath. Uh, God made uh, another oath, Psalm 16, verse 10, when he you know, said he's going to raise his son from the dead. Um, he made another oath that he said he would preserve and eventually bless Israel. That's in Isaiah 49. Um, Paul, a number of times when he's speaking, says, God is my witness, right? That's an oath. He's taking oaths in the name of God. And so 
you know, God made a promise with Abraham. You remember that promise he made with Abraham? That was pretty elaborate, right? He, you know, did the covenant. He took the animal. He cut it into two pieces. The lamp went down the middle of it, and it was, he was acting out the covenant. You guys remember that agreement? Genesis chapter, um, I believe it's in 15. Don't quote me on that, but it's around there, the covenant that he made with Abraham. So oaths aren't bad. In fact, Jesus spoke under oath. Do you remember that? Um, Matthew chapter 26, the high priest was like, you know, uh, he answered, Jesus wouldn't say anything. He kept silent. So the high priest says, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you're the Christ, right? And then he says, um, it is as you said, right? So Jesus spoke under oath. So when Jesus says, I say, don't swear at all, he's not saying that oaths in general are bad. What he's dealing with here is the abuses of oaths and the truth. The abuses of oaths and the truth. Now, Here's the problem in Jesus' day. In Jesus' day, commentators have written all about this. It was notable that people were swearing on their lives to something when it was frivolous and even just unnecessary. Uh, one commentator said that um, they were continuously swearing on their lives about things. It was just popular in this day and age and culture. It's kind of like today when you hear somebody talking in just everyday conversation, they're like, I swear to God, I swear to God, man. Oh no, no, no. I swear to God. I went to the fair and I ate a hot dog. It was two foot long. I swear to God. I swear to God. You know, I swear to God last night. I I just was up until three in the morning, you know, eating and watching TV. I swear to God. I was up so late. Stuff like that. They're constantly doing that. And some people have a worse time with that. You know, you can remember somebody like they were on the phone and they're like, swear to God, swear to God. Right. I don't know. Uh, You're not supposed to do that, right? That's frivolous oath-taking. You're going to give an account for all of that that comes out of your mouth, right? That's what the Bible says. You give an account for every careless word that's uttered. Now, people say other things too, like, I swear to God, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye, right? Remember that one? Yeah, that's a frivolous oath. Don't need to take those. Jesus is saying you don't need to do that. Then, so you had the problem of frivolous oaths. Then you also had the problem with, uh, of oaths that were uttered with the intentional purpose of deception. In other words, deceptive oaths. Now, here's what they would do. Um, it's kind of like this today. You know how when somebody will make a promise and they'll say it's not binding because they had their fingers what? Right. That actually, I think, relates to witchcraft, doesn't it? If I, I think if you trace the origins of that, it's like a witchcraft thing, like you're hexing the whole thing, you know what I mean, by doing it. That's what somebody told me once. You can research it. Don't do it either way. Um, But the point is, is a deceptive oath. Like you're saying yes with your mouth, but you've got your fingers crossed behind your back. Now, the, the Jews actually had a very creative way of doing it. Look at verse 34 through 36. But I say, do not swear, um, you know, either by heaven, by God, you know, it's God's throne, by Jerusalem, by the earth. The Jews had a very crafty way of doing this. What they would do is they would swear by lesser things. They wouldn't use the word, the name of God, but they would swear by lesser things. I swear by heaven. I swear by the temple. I swear by the gold of the temple. I swear by the altar in the temple. And what they were meaning was the oath wasn't binding because they weren't bringing the name of God into it. Do you know that's what it means to take the, the Lord's name in vain, by the way, is to say, I you know, swear to God I'm going to give my life to Christ, but then you don't do it. That's taking the Lord's name in vain. It's blasphemous to say, you know, G dang, 
you know, and, and, you know, when people use Jesus as a curse word, that's blasphemous. But taking the Lord's name in vain, vain means useless. It means I claim the name of Jesus, but I'm not doing anything about it. You're taking the name of the Lord in vain, right? So they didn't take the name of the Lord in vain. They left his name out because they wanted to make agreements that weren't binding, right? Oh, I've got my fingers crossed behind my back. Oh, you, you call me out on this? I didn't swear by God. I swore by the temple. Oh, yeah. Well, it was that sort of attitude, right? They had that legal sort of mind, that technical relationship with God, looking for the loopholes. And so that's what they did. Um, if you read about it, actually, in Matthew 23, Jesus rebukes them hardcore for this. And you can read that late, later on if you want. Well, we'll get there in about two years. Um, <clears throat> probably. So very careful about not taking the Lord's name in vain, came up with a very crafty technical way that they believed was, you know, a loophole out of this whole thing. So that's what Jesus means, you know, going on there. Uh, it says, neither by heaven, for it's God's throne, verse 35, nor by the earth, nor for it's his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king, nor shall you swear by your head, because you can't make one hair white or black. So those are typical things the Jews would swear by. But the point is, is very simple. An oath is an oath. If you swear by any of these other things, okay, you're swearing by heaven. Who made heaven? You're swearing by the temple. Who made the temple? You're swearing by the altar. Who made the altar? You're swearing by your own head. Who made your own head, right? So every time you're swearing, you're bringing God into it. Every time you make an oath, you're bringing God into it. It's impossible to avoid. And that's what Jesus is getting there. He's saying that his followers ought to have nothing to do with frivolous or deceptive oaths. But verse 37, here's what we ought to do. Let your yes be yes and your no, no. Let your yes be yes and your no, no. For whatever is more than these is from the evil one. Now, in other words, a simple yes or no is good. All this oath-taking, swearing to God, swearing on your life, pinky swearing, all this stuff should be unnecessary for the Christian. Why? Because your word should be so good that you don't need to do anything like that. That's what Jesus is getting at. A Christian ought to have such a good word that they don't have to sit there and try to convince people that they're telling the truth. Right? Let your yes be yes and your no, no. Because all this oath-taking is... From the evil one. If I have to go and pinky swear for you to believe me, I know it's cute. You do that and you're out on your date. Oh, I pinky swear I'm going to love you forever. Let's pinky swear. <laughs> it's cute. I mean, it's cute. But for, you see the point though, right? I just lighten it up a little bit. But the whole thing is the Christian ought not to even do things like, you know, need to convince people you know, I don't need to convince people that I'm telling the truth. My word can be okay, right? I can say yes, and I can say no. And you, need to, you should believe me because I have a proven track record that I'm not lying and that I'll do what I say I'm going to do. That's what Jesus is saying here. Because everything else is from the evil one. If you must make oaths for people to believe you, it is because you have a reputation of not being trustworthy or reliable, or truthful if you have to make oaths. Let me give you some examples. 
say that you're the husband and you have been getting asked to take the trash out for a month and there's flies in your house and you tell your wife and you say, I'm going to take the trash out. And if she says, do you promise? <laughs> and you have to say, yes, yes, I promise I'm going to do it. That is the opposite of what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying you ought not to be the sort of person that has to convince somebody through your promising that your word is good, right? You tell somebody that you're going to be somewhere at a certain time, and you're there. People trust you. You say that you're going to have an assignment done at a certain time at your job or at school, and your teacher counts on you, and then you are good about your word. That's what Jesus is saying. You have plans with someone. You don't flake out. I used to know a guy that was like, and I'm not trying to bag on anybody, but this one particular dude, it was uncanny. Every time he said he was going to be somewhere, you knew for certain he would not be there. And if he was, he was going to be there late. And if it was, and you just knew that was this guy. And he had a good reason, of course, all the time. But Jesus says, I don't want my people to be like that. I want my people to say something and then you can bank on that with a simple yes. That's it. Simple yes or no. Now, when you say yes, mean it. When you say no, mean it. Now, there's another way that people break the essence of this commandment, and it's when they say yes, but really they mean no, right? When they say yes, but they mean no. Somebody comes and asks you something, and inside you're going, I don't want to do that. But you're so given over to the worship of man and people-pleasing that you cannot say no to the person. You know you're not helping them. You know you're enabling them. You know you're hurting them. But because you're so concerned about what they think about you, you can't say no. And so you say yes when you mean no. Jesus would have it that your yes means yes and that your no means no. And it's okay to say either of those things and mean it and you don't have to go into a big explanation of yourself. You could just use yes and no. You know, when you come up to somebody and they are convincing you, I swear, I'll do it. I swear, I swear, I swear. That person is trying to convince you because they know that most likely they haven't been very good about their word. And Jesus is trying to get to the bottom of that. He says, as Jesus' follower, there ought to be nothing further needed than a simple yes or no for people to trust you. It reminds me of this show that I watch um, sometimes called The Prophet. Has anybody ever seen The Prophet? Mike's seen The Prophet? Or uh, Jeff, have you ever seen it back there? Um, sorry. Um, nobody has seen The Prophet with Marcus Lemonis? Yeah, man, The Prophet. Aaron? This guy's like a billionaire investor, and what he does on the show is he goes into businesses that need his help, and, you know, they're about to, they need a partner. And so he goes in and assesses the business, and then he decides whether he's going to partner with them. Nobody's ever seen this? Stevie has. Okay, good show. How does he always do business? Does he ever get the contract out? You ever see him get a contract out? No, because he does it on a handshake, right? Super cool. I mean, this guy's going to invest like $800,000 in somebody's business or like $1.2 million, like to get him out of debt and to help him. And he doesn't get a contract out. He just, and, and he's got this great handshake, by the way. I don't know how he does it. I've been trying to figure it out. It's kind of like, like, I don't know. It's awesome. Uh, but he does business on a handshake. And I got to thinking about that, and I was like, wow, don't you even cover your own base? But, but think about it. If you make an agreement with somebody on a handshake and they flake out, some people consider that as a cheap price to pay to know to never do business with that person again. 
And plus, if it does work out, then you've got this wonderful relationship based on trust, right? I can look you in the eye and take you at your word, and you can look me in my eye and take me at the, and we can shake hands, and that's a deal, right? And the world is missing that more and more these days. You know, it's, it's, we're, uh, we're becoming more like um, our idea of truth is like truth is relative, well, yeah, I did say that in this situation, but the truth is relative, and I didn't mean it in this situation, and this one, and that one, and everybody's all confused about black and white truth. But picture a world where everybody could do business on a handshake, right? Can you imagine you're going in to get your mortgage refinanced, all right? And they're just like, oh, you want to refi your house? How much do you think it's worth? Well, it's probably worth about 108. Sounds good. You've got 40,000 equity. You want to cash it out? Sure, great. <laughs> it's not that kind of world, is it? Interesting, right? The world that Jesus would have if man didn't have his sinful free will is it, it would be like that. That's pretty awesome. Man, God's ways are good, right? Aren't they good? <laughs> so, Jesus' followers, a simple yes or no is enough. All this, I swear to God, stuff is sinful. It's to be avoided. You don't need, you know, be a person where your word's so good, nobody needs to even question your word. You're dependable. Now, this next section has to do with the Christian and their rights. Their rights to retaliate when someone wrongs them, their right to their time, their right to their possessions. What follows is a hard teaching. I will just put that out there. Jesus has some hard teachings, right? And I think this is one of them. Essentially, what Jesus will say is, as his follower, you really have no rights. As Jesus' follower, you really have no rights. Your life belongs to him. Your life is to be used in the way that he says it's to be used. Now, have you considered that this week at all? That your life belongs to Christ and it's to be used the way that he wants it to be used. That's not American Christianity in 2021 so much. We think we'll put Jesus in when it's convenient for us, but biblical Christianity is you just gave up rights to your life willingly to follow him, and he's your master. Master doesn't, you know, I know I'm probably one of the most hardcore people in your lives, but I'm trying to say this mellow and everything, but when you become a Christian, you realize he's the master and you're the servant. He's the master. You're the servant. Sometimes we forget that. That's what he's going to get at in this next section. What he teaches is truly radical. Verse 38. <laughs> You've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Now, this was the law that they had twisted and misinterpreted, okay? Exodus 21, verses 23 through 25. Uh, but if any harm follows, you shall give life for life. Talking about if an injury was done, if, if you killed somebody, um, then you should give life for life. Verse 24, eye for eye. This is Exodus 21, by the way. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. So that's the law in the Old Testament. Leviticus 24, verse 20, fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. As he has caused disfigurement of a man, so shall it be done to him. Right? Um, Deuteronomy 19, verse 21, your eye shall not pity, Life shall be for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. Now, does this law sound hardcore to you? Kind of, right? Um, 
I was reading about Singapore where they have a very small drug problem there because if you get caught with drugs, they chop your hand off. That's it, right? In societies where they have strict punishment and capital punishment, just generally speaking, there's less like, capital offenses, right? Um, obviously, you know, it's lax in America and uh, they like to fine people and make a bunch of money and, you know, it's whatever. This law might sound hardcore, but if you think about it, well, let's, let's help think about it. Have you ever watched a couple of kids get in a fight with each other? One hits one. One time. Typically, what does the kid do after that, the other kid that got hit? Hit back. Do they always hit back with equal force? It seems like they always hit back harder or maybe even twice, right? Because that's human nature. So this law seems very hardcore, but what it is is it's God saying, look, you can't, if somebody hits you, hit them back twice. You see what I mean? You have to see the law for what it is. It's actually very humane. What God is saying, the punishment must fit the crime, right? Now, these laws in this section were not about personal retaliation. These were how the courts were supposed to decide cases. Now, what was wrong at Jesus' time was they were applying this to personal vendettas. Oh, you wronged me. Eye for an eye. Okay, you hit me. I'll hit you back. You stole from me. I'll go steal from you. Now, that way that the Jews were interpreting the law was wrong. That's why Jesus is correcting it, right? Isn't it unfortunate that that's like even what we get taught today? I remember I was at the park one day and I was listening to some, uh, par- you know, some parents actually teach this. Oh, your brother hit you? Well, hit him back. That'll teach him, right? Great. <laughs> some misguided parents teach that. They teach the eye for an eye principle. Now, what Jesus says is, but I tell you, not to resist an evil person. Don't take this law that is meant for the courts, eye for an eye, and apply it to personal vendettas. I tell you not to even resist them. In fact, what I say is, if somebody hits your one cheek, give them the other cheek, right? Now, this is incredibly challenging, right? Somebody comes up and backhands you. That's what this means. It's literally backhanding. They come up and they give you the backhand, and that attacks your dignity big time, right? And so what Jesus is saying is, They slap you on the one cheek, give them the other one, right? Now, by law, Old Testament law, if you were hit, you, the law was in your favor. You could take somebody to court and you could sue them for getting slapped on the cheek. You could do that. But what Jesus is saying is, you've got the right to go pursue legal action against this. But I'll tell you what, rather than do that, bless the person. That's what the point is. It's, this isn't legalism. This isn't like, okay, somebody hit me on the cheek, so I have to give them, okay, here's the other cheek. Take the cheek. Oh, they hit me on the knee? Okay, here's the knee. See, it's not strict legalism. It's the principle behind what's being said. Somebody does something wrong to you, you may even be in the right to go pursue legal action against it. Don't do that. Bless them. Bless people that persecute you. Bless those that curse you, right? Can you imagine a world where people did that? Can you imagine a world where that was like that? I'd like to imagine that world.
Jesus certainly practices what he preaches. Matthew 26, verse 67 says that they spat in his face and they beat him and others struck him with the palms of their hands. Isaiah 50, verse 6 says, I gave my back to those who struck me, my cheeks to those who plucked out my beard. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. 1 Peter 2, 23 says, who, talking about Jesus, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he committed himself to him who judges righteously. Jesus didn't fight back in anything that was done, but he committed himself into his Father's hands who judges righteously. Jesus practices what he preaches. He brought in a radical way of living, this principle of non-resistance, of non-violence, right? Now, this isn't talking about, you know, military retaliation when there's a threat. It's not talking about that. It's not talking about the government carrying out um, capital punishment. The Bible, you know, if you study it, you find that the Bible is in favor of capital punishment. In fact, God invented it. Um, Now, what he is talking about is personal revenge. That's what he's talking about here. This is a radical way of living. In fact, more recently, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. like really, uh, you know, I don't know if you young people in here know who Martin Luther King Jr. is. Do they tell you about that in school uh, these days anymore? I don't know if they're trying to blank him out of our history too. Because, um, you know, he was a Christian pastor, you know, for a long time. And he, a lot of his principles in the civil rights movement, I mean, all of his principles came from Christ, you know. And what they did was they peacefully protested. They'd go out and they would give love and they would protest injustices, but they would not fight, and they would not, and not a lot of people agreed with him. Malcolm X didn't agree with him. The Black Panthers didn't agree with him, and uh, a lot of people thought that he was wrong. A lot of people misunderstood Martin Luther King Jr. because of his principle of nonviolence. The Black Panthers really tried to get him, uh, you know, you need to fight back, you know, what what are we going to get pressed up against the wall? You know what I mean? And there was violence happening. I mean, I don't know if you young people are aware of this, but in your history, um, uh, in this country, there was a time where black people were like killed just for being black. There was a time where restaurants like had sections where only whites could sit and only blacks could sit. There were buses where, you know, you had to sit on the back if you were black. There were, you know, and there were people going out and putting crosses in your yard and burning them and, uh, you know, the KKK and things like that. And there was racism in this country in the government in this country and all of that stuff. And Martin Luther King, uh, Martin Luther King Jr., he fought against this through the principle of love, through the principle of nonviolence, of non-resistance. And, you know, I read a sermon by him one time that was just excellent. It was moving. And he talked about, uh, and it's no, it's no surprise to us, we know our Bible, but he talked about how love is the most compelling force in the world. It's the most compelling force in the world. And he says, you know what? You don't return evil for evil, right? If everybody returns evil for evil, how long will humans last, right? Not very long. Somebody needs to be the bigger person and return love when evil's dished out on them, right? And that's what Jesus is saying. We ought to be that sort of people, that when evil is done to us, we don't, even if we're in the right, even if we're in the right, we lay down our rights. We submit our rights to the cause of Jesus Christ. Now, that's going to have a bigger impact in your enemy than pursuing legal channels by retaliating You surrender your rights to Christ and you submit because of the cause of love, because you believe in love. You believe that love is the best way to win somebody over. Will you always win over every enemy with love? Certainly not. But that doesn't mean that you change and tarnish who you are because it doesn't always work out in your favor. It didn't work out in Jesus' favor as far as what man saw. It did ultimately and it did spiritually, but it got Jesus nailed to a cross 
trying to win with love. You remember the night before he died when Peter uh, hacked off uh, Malchus's ear, right? And Jesus says, put your sword away. Those that live by the sword will die by the sword, right? You don't live this sort of life as a Christian. And you give your right cheek, you turn the other cheek also. That's what he wants of his people. Verse 40, if anybody wants to sue you and take away your tunic, that's your shirt, your undergarment, it's soft, generally, Hanes, tagless, fruit of the loom. Just kidding. Probably not back in those days. They have been around a while. But if somebody sues you for your fruit of the looms, go ahead and give them your Carhartt also, right? Give them your coat. Give them your outward cloak. And that was extremely valuable in those days. They used it for a pillow. They used it for a bed. They used it for a sack to carry stuff in. Your tunic, um, uh, your cloak, I'm sorry, was extremely valuable. They, it's not like they had, you know, Rose Bergdale's where they could sew things up really easily back then with her shop. I mean, it was expensive to get one made. And so the point is here is somebody, you know, is trying to do some evil to you again. They're trying to take from you. Give them more. Somebody wants to do wrong to you, bless them, right? This is inc- I told you this was hard teaching. It's not in my nature. I am hardwired to hit back harder. I am hardwired to tell you right now how this is what you violated. This is, I am entitled to this, 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 and this, and you did this and this, and you owe me. I'm, that's my nature. You know, I have an evil monster inside of me that apart from the spirit of Jesus Christ was ravaging people and life. But Jesus Christ will slay that monster inside of you, right? If you'll let him, if you'll let the spirit have his work inside of you. And I'll tell you, this is tough teaching. He goes on to say, whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him two. Now, little background, the soldiers in the Roman government could legally force people to carry their their pack, their burden, for up to 1,000 paces. That's what the word mile means here. So a good example of this, uh, Romans being legally able to compel people to carry burdens, um, Simon of Cyrene. The Romans compelled him to carry the cross of Jesus, and he had to do it up to 1,000 paces by law. So think of this. You're in, you're living with an incredibly oppressive government over you that has taken your land, that has put massive amounts of tax on you, and humiliates you, really. They can come up to you in your land that they took over and taxed you to live in, and they can say, carry my backpack, Corey, for a thousand paces. Now, do you think the Jews liked this? No, (laughs) they did not. This was humiliating, degrading. So what Jesus says is radical. Now, can you picture this? You're the Roman guard. Put yourself in that standpoint. And you are going to compel one of these Jews to carry your backpack. And you're already ready for it. You're, you, you're ready for the cursing and the, blah, you know, and you're ready for the bad attitude that's going to come from this person as they have to follow the laws of the land. And instead, they run into somebody that's, you know, okay, we're done. That's been a thousand paces, you know. 
no, no, that's cool, man. I got it for another mile. Let me get, let me get it again. Let me just get an adjustment and put on a different. Yeah, no, okay, I'm ready. Let's go, you know, and let's take it another mile. Can you imagine what happened after church that day when they learned this? You know, they all, they all came to church on, on their Sunday and then, you know, they learned the lesson from the Bible about how they should be and they all went back into their community and all of a sudden all these soldiers are like, what happened to all these Christians? This is weird, you know? And then do you think any of them started to get curious about what Jesus was teaching? You see, the cause of Christ is greater than my personal rights. And as a Christian... Jesus expects me to willingly lay down my rights for the cause of Christ. And he's just given some very good examples, practical examples of how to do that. How about a Christian when tax time comes and you hear them complaining about taxes, right? Well, think about this passage. When the government is able to uh, compel you to carry a backpack, you're supposed to carry it even further. So what I want you to do is next time that taxes are due, I want you to pay double No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. You're like, man, I'm never going to church here again. But think about it. People that complain about the laws of the land around here, people that complain about the fact that there's a stop sign. I don't want to stop there. There's nobody even here. Oh, really? Well, think about what Jesus is saying Christians ought to be like. We ought to be a peculiar people, right? That's what he's getting at. He's going beyond saying cooperate with the hated, oppressive Roman force. He's going, he's saying go above and beyond what is expected of you. Now, I will tell you that that is a compelling witness when somebody goes above and beyond what is expected of them. Apply this to your work situation for a second. At your job, your boss expects you to do so much, but you do above and beyond. You go the extra mile. You know where that statement came from? Go the extra mile. Imagine you're at school and your teacher is used to people just trying to get the bare minimum. But a Christian is now in their class that wants to help, that wants to go the extra mile, wants to go above and beyond. Think about as a youth, you're living with your parents and you're saying, I want my allowance. What do I got to do to get my allowance? And they say, well, I want you to take out the trash. I want you to feed the cat. I want you to feed the cat to the dog. I want you to, no, I'm just kidding. (laughs) See? Oh, okay. That's probably good advice. But imagine if if you're that kind of youth, where all of a sudden your parents are like, what happened? Did Did you go to church and learn more about Jesus? Because you're starting to go the extra mile. Like I've asked you to do this, but you're doing more than that. Like, what is wrong with you? I think I'm in the twilight zone here, right? But then people start to say, there must be something to this Jesus thing, right? Wasn't Jesus like this? I mean, you trace it all the way back to the Garden of Eden. God creates man. Man sins against him. Legally, God could just wipe him out and he'd be just in everything he did. He would just be just. But instead, he covers him because man's ashamed because if he's naked, he puts a covering over him. He kicks him out of the garden so he won't eat the tree of, you know, everlasting life and be forever in that state. And he puts him out and he gets this whole plan of redemption. And even though we don't deserve it, he comes and he pursues us and he goes the extra mile. He goes all the way to the cross. He sends his Holy Spirit. He brings you into him. He fills you. He gives you purpose and meaning in life and good works to walk in, and friends, and all this good stuff happens in your life because of Christ. And 
And uh, he goes the extra mile. And so Jesus is just saying, be like him. Be like him. There are no, the, the most miserable people are the ones that are always insisting on their rights. The happiest people are the ones that have laid down their rights for the cause of Christ. It's just that simple. And that's what he's saying there. Verse 42, give to him who asks you and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. Jesus' followers ought to have a generous spirit because they loosely hold on to their personal rights and possessions. They can freely give when the need arises and they won't turn away from the one who wants to borrow. Jesus' followers must willingly put others' needs before their own. Are there exceptions to this? Likely. If somebody says, I want to borrow some money so I can continue to be a flake and not work. I, I don't know if that's, you know, I want to borrow some money for drugs. I, probably not, you know. I mean, but it's the spirit of the thing is because you've got such a loose grip on your possessions, you're just, if somebody asks you, you lend to them. If somebody, you know, somebody wants to borrow your lawnmower, what, you know, whatever it is, just be that sort of person because he's generous. You know, Jesus is generous. Jesus is gracious. And so his people ought to be that same way, right? Now, in conclusion, these are some hard lessons, right? Aren't they? But I just want you to think about this. I want you to leave here with this thought today. We had some other songs planned, but we're not going to do them today just because it's already 11 minutes after 12, okay? So I don't want to, it's summer and we need to get out of here and have fun and and do all that stuff too. But I, I think this is very important, okay? Especially you young people, okay? Today, The world is giving us all kinds of messages of like what makes for a good life, right? They're they're saying, this makes for a good life. You'll be happy with this. You'll be happy with this. I want you to consider that God's ways are good, right? Christianity isn't, you better follow Jesus or you're going to go to hell, right? Now, is that true? Sure. It is true. If you don't follow Jesus, if you don't receive Jesus Christ, yeah, you're going you're gonna to continue on your destiny in hell and be separated from God, and that's a terrible fate. But that's not why we follow Jesus is because we're scared of hell. We follow God because his ways are good. I believe it's a good thing when people say they're going to do something and they do it. I believe it's a good thing when I have a word that you can count on. Those are good things. I believe it's also good when I see this world as a servant rather than one that came to be served. It's not all about me and serving me. It's about me laying down my rights to serve others. Isn't that a good world? Now really think through these things. Christianity is not oppressive. This is real life. This is good life. This is abundant life, these things that Jesus is saying here. When we live by these things, we live the good life. I just want you to leave here with that thought today that God's ways are good Father, we thank you so much for your word, and we thank you that you have given it to us. Lord, we thank you that your ways are good. Our soul is at rest in you here today. Help us, Lord, to grow in these things. We thank you, Father, that you have given us the righteousness of Christ because he did never lie and because he did fully lay down his life. Lord, we falter in these things. I wish that I could say that my word has always been good. I wish that I could say that I was always approaching life as a servant. Lord, we fall short of these things, but you don't. And so we thank you that you've made righteousness available to us through our faith in you. Lord, we're hidden in you. Thank God. And so, Lord, make us more like Christ this week. I pray as we leave here, Father, that you would help us to 
live these principles out more. May we be the people that go the extra mile. May we not be lazy when it comes to these things. May we not be preoccupied. May we pay very close attention to our words, to the motives of our heart. And we ask in Jesus' name, amen.